Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. And if you just look at chapter 11, then you see this follows. This just just prior to the, the triumphal entry story. Chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, for 66 years now, Queen Elizabeth has sat on the British throne and has served as head of state. It's an amazing, steady run and life. But the Queen is not easy for you and me to gain access to. She has a small army around her, protecting her 24-7 from the general public. And then there's all those other members of the royal family. The ones in the spotlight right now are Harry and Meghan, quite the couple. When they got married, $8.7 million was spent on security and another $4.9 million on police overtime. Amazing. Again, they're not easy people to simply approach. Then think of other celebrities who have small or sometimes much larger armies of security guards that surround them wherever they go. The Pope, the presidents of the U.S. or Russia, the North Korean dictator, they all have bulletproof vehicles and plenty of ways to keep them from close contact with the general public. And when they arrive somewhere, there's all sorts of crowd control barriers erected to keep the general public away from them for safety's sake. And not only, that's not only the story of political leaders, but music, movie stars, and all kinds of security as well. And then it's usually during a walkabout or by special invitation that someone like the Queen or any sort of celebrity tend to approach the general public. And it's at, at an event, as is, that's often reported, that so-and-so actually met face-to-face -face with the Prime Minister, President, or the Queen, or whoever it is that came to visit, and then the reporters want to know, what were they like? What did they say? What did you say to them? Now, usually we make these kind of celebrities larger than life, like many did with Kawhi Leonard. When, at the time, the Raptors were on their championship run, and he's no longer part of the Raptors. I don't know how many fans actually talk with Kawhi, but you can imagine that out 
in that whole, can you imagine that he would actually single you out in that crowd, sit next to you and talk with you? That would be quite something. Many would be all excited about that. My niece's eight-year-old son was all excited about fist bumping someone in the Raptor organization. I don't think he was even a basketball player, but somehow he was connected to the Raptors. Jamal, somebody was his name. Like imagine, imagine what, what you would feel like if the Queen were to single you out or if Harry or Meghan were to single you out of a crowd and approach you and talk with you. The commander of an honor guard activated because of a royal visit to Canada said that one of the thrills of his troops was the prospect of the Queen stopping in front of them to talk with them. Out of the hundreds of troops that she reviews each year, it would be a special honor to be the one before whom the monarch would stop and talk. Now the barriers, of course, are set up to keep Kawhi Leonard and the Queen or other VIPs uh, from the crowds. And those barriers are important. They protect the individual from being crushed in the crowd. They create order and they allow the individual to carry on and to perform the task that they've come to perform. And yet, many so-called important people are inaccessible to the public, and that's often the way it is in our world. This evening, when we turn to the Bible and to the story of Bartimaeus, we discover that things are a little bit different in the kingdom of heaven. While the hosts of heaven are at the beck and call of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and are there to do his bidding, he doesn't need them for security purposes. He's readily accessible. There's no need for security of any sort. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is readily available for those in need, for those who are lost in spite of the barriers that we may erect. In fact, he came precisely for those who were blind and in need. He came for the lost. He came for those who wouldn't pass a security check. He came to tear down the barriers that we've erected between people and God, as well as the barriers that we erect between each other. And that brings us to the story of Bartimaeus. The story of Bartimaeus is found in the Gospel according to Mark with parallel accounts in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And if you take the time to read the three accounts, you'll notice there's some discrepancies that begin to surface between the stories, such as where exactly this healing took place. Was it the original Jericho or the newly built Jericho? Was Jesus leaving Jericho or was Jesus coming to Jericho? And exactly how many blind men were there? One or two? We're going to leave all those various explanations and questions and difficulties to the scholars who have studied and debated such matters. Certainly there's no contradiction here in the message as presented by the various gospel writers. I picked the story of Mark from which to take this passage because Mark comes at the story and tells the story from his own unique perspective. And this miracle of the healing of the blind man, Bartimaeus, is the last of the miracles recorded by Mark in his gospel. It took place at a time when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the final events that would take place in his life on earth. 
The people figured that the time had finally come when Jesus was going to be proclaimed king and take his place on the throne. And so they marched on with their agenda. And the desire and the agenda of the people came to a climax in the next chapter of Mark as we read the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus was very aware of what was awaiting him once he would arrive in Jerusalem, so he also had an agenda as he moved from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so there they went, a large crowd of people moving as if one body, very deliberately traveling to Jerusalem. Nothing could or ought to stop them now. History was moving forward. Important things were going to take place. They had no time to stop for anyone or anything, least of all, a mere beggar. And yet that's precisely what happened. They were interrupted and had to put things on hold for a while. What a bother. It's no wonder they scolded the beggar and told him to be quiet. The interruption of the blind beggar was of special significance for a couple of reasons. One, it painted a sharp contrast between the faith of a simple beggar and the continued blindness of the Jewish authorities and others who pursued the passage to Jerusalem where the cries would change from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him, crucify him. And secondly, if you know anything about Mark, then you'll know that one of the characteristics of his gospel is that he tells the story of Jesus in a succinct, vivid, fast-moving way, emphasizing the works or deeds of Jesus. Mark often used the adverb immediately when writing his story. Perhaps it's an indication of his relative youth and energy. Anyway, the Gospel of Mark is a fast-moving account, one of constant movement and progression that was all considered to be but, Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And therefore, it's even more striking in this story of the healing of the blind man that we read in verse 49 that Jesus Stopped. Mark was not about stopping. Mark was about moving on and going quickly. But Jesus stopped. In spite of the heavy agenda on both Jesus and the people's part, in spite of the fast forward movement of events, nonetheless, Jesus stopped. That's really cool and significant. The good news of the scripture could be summed up in two words. In some ways, I suppose, Jesus stopped. And he stopped for a very good reason. One who was blind was calling out to him. Moreover, it was precisely for such people that Jesus had come. As mentioned earlier, Jesus and the crowd surrounding him were leaving Jericho with a definite agenda for the future. Time was rolling on in the history of Israel, and it looked like finally the right person had arrived on the scene to help the people in their struggle against the Roman oppressors. The Messiah, as people envisioned him to be a glorious king, now appeared to be among them in the person of this Jesus of Nazareth, and he was heading toward Jerusalem. So they had to keep going. Things were urgent. And then there was that beggar called Bartimaeus sitting there along the road. Now think of Bartimaeus for a moment. He was blind. He was unable to see. 
as a result in that society and age, unable to work. The only way such a person could support himself was to live off the pity of the people and therefore spend time begging. To find beggars outside the city gates was not at all uncommon in those days. People like Bartimaeus were people of little consequence to the rest of the population. They were, in effect, the lowest rung on the social ladder. It's amazing that we even know his name. And such people, or such poor people, were no doubt people who were abused and kicked about, people who were an embarrassment to the country and the government. The social welfare structures that exist in this country today didn't exist in Israel at that time. People like Bartimaeus received very little respect and very little honor in Jewish society. Their condition was wretched. But Bartimaeus, like almost everyone else in Israel, seemed to know about Jesus. The rabbi of Nazareth had become quite famous because of the miracles he had performed and because of the authority with which he had preached. And when the blind beggar learned that, uh, that all the commotion on the road was about Jesus passing by, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Out of his wretched situation and condition, the helpless man cried out. And when he addressed Jesus as the son of David, it's not known whether he understood fully that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. What is clear is that Bartimaeus saw a solution to his situation, and that solution somehow lay in Jesus. And he was later commended for his faith. So one could just hear the beggar shout over the noise of the crowd passing by, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're my only hope. But those who heard him didn't make things that easy, didn't make things easy for him. Rather, Mark tells us they, they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They set up barriers between the wretched man and the celebrity that they were escorting. This is the second time in the same chapter that there's a barrier put up that blocked the way to Jesus. In verses 13 and following, we read the story of how the disciples stopped the little children from coming to the master. Again, barriers were erected. Why? In Bartimaeus' situation, perhaps the poor man embarrassed the people. They wanted to spare Jesus from having to see him. Perhaps they felt that somehow Jesus was too good to be bothered with the poor man. Which may also explain why the disciples turned away the parents and their children. Like, don't bother the master. He's got a whole lot better things to do than spend time with the likes of you. And while there may be noble reasons in their minds, it's very, very wrong, since the poor or the weak or the insignificant never bothered Jesus. It's for those that he came. Perhaps the cries bothered their consciences, and they felt guilty about such poverty and wretchedness in their country. Guilt often would rather remain undisturbed. Maybe they'd seen enough miracles. Their curiosity had been satisfied. Who knows? 
Perhaps as mentioned earlier, they were too set on their agendas that nothing was allowed to stand in their way or slow the process of this Messiah going to Jerusalem. Things were happening that were far too important and much more important than this poor man. So, man, be quiet. Shh, don't make any noise. Stop calling for Jesus. He's not interested in you anyway. Shh. Now, building barriers is not something unique to the people of Jesus' day. All down through history, and even today, Christians have built barriers that have kept others from coming to Christ. If we think about the New Testament church, we remember the arguments that were held about the Gentiles becoming Jews first, before they could be members of the church. The council reported on in Acts 15 cleared up that matter. We put up doctrinal barriers. Unless you understand a certain passage of Scripture as we do, we don't have any place in our midst. There's ethnic barriers. Unless you're Dutch or German or Scottish or whatever, you cannot really be part of our fellowship. Consequently, a number of churches have remained ethnically oriented. Unless you're of a particular social or financial standing and also can pull your weight in the church, you don't really belong. Unless you behave like we do, unless you live your Christian life like we do, you can't really be part of our fellowship. And when we talk only and always about family and marriage and couples, where does that leave the singles? When we are homophobic and always looking down on those who live on the streets or who caught, or caught up in addictions, where does that leave those who struggle with issues of sexual orientation or who are homeless or who are struggling with addictions? Many of the barriers that we erect are not always ones of concrete or steel, but they can be very subtle barriers driving people away from the fellowship if they somehow don't seem to fit in. Barriers are really easy to create, but they're oh so, I mean, easy to construct, but they're oh so difficult to tear down. Well, Bartimaeus refused to be put out by all the barriers constructed between him and the Lord. He shouted all the more loudly and more persistently, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. He stopped. Right there in the middle of the road with lots of people around and with all the agendas of one sort or another on people's minds, he stopped. Now, this was not to be a royal walkabout. Nor was the blind beggar one who had received a special invitation to give the king flowers. No, the master of all heard a cry for help and he stopped. I want you to think about that for a moment. He didn't say to Bartimaeus, Ah, look, fellow, I'm kind of busy right now. There are many people in Jerusalem waiting for me. Besides, I have to go and do some very important things there. Jesus didn't say that, nor did he walk quickly past on the other side of the road like the priest and the Levite did when confronted by the victim of the robbery in the story of the Good Samaritan. No, Jesus stopped, and then he said, call him, call him. What mercy, what grace. Just like that, all the barriers came crashing down. And now the people who moments before told the blind beggar to be quiet encouraged Bartimaeus by telling him, 
He's calling you. The master is calling. Do you hear his voice? And Bartimaeus wasted no time. He threw all hindrances, all barriers aside, namely his cloak, and he came to Jesus. He was eager and he was excited that his only source of hope had stopped and was calling for him. Jesus made the man tell him in so many words what it is that he wanted. What is it that you want? Uh, Rabbi, I want to see, says verse 51. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Go. Your faith has healed you. And from the original language and from the context and from how the blind man responded to the miracle, we may understand that the blind man asked for more than just physical healing. He also wanted to see in his soul to understand who Jesus was. And from what Jesus said in response, we can ascertain that the man was probably healed from more than just physical blindness. Not only could he physically see things as they were, but he also physically, spiritually understood that Jesus was indeed the son of David, the Messiah. And the man now wished to be in the immediate presence of Jesus, and so he followed him along the road. This passage is striking for a number of reasons. First, as the last story about a healing in the Gospel of Mark, and just before all the events surrounding the death of Jesus, the blind man and his faith stands as a stark contrast to the crowds and the Jewish leadership. The blind man can be used as a picture to explain fallen man's condition outside of Christ. And in, in the fall, we were all blinded to the truth. Our only hope for salvation and light is Jesus. Without him, we are destitute, blind, lost. However, Jesus came and stopped. He gave his life for such people as Bartimaeus, for such people as you and me. He called us out. He called us to himself by grace, out of love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us or lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Grace. Bartimaeus didn't deserve this. Bartimaeus understood, and he received his sight. The rest of the crowd continued with their agenda, a blind agenda, which led them to scream, crucify him, crucify him, away with this man called Jesus. Unless Jesus gives you sight, you cannot see. As we go on with our Christian living, let's do so with open eyes, eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Without such vision and such faith, we will fall and we will fail. Secondly, we ought to take note of those barriers that are thrown up before Bartimaeus, which tried to keep him from coming in contact with the Lord. We need to be sensitive to the barriers that we might erect before others as we're involved in the work of the Lord. We do not have a queen or president or a prime minister to protect. We're not an ethnic social club, nor are we exclusive or anything of the sort. We're part of the body of Christ whose aim is to glorify his name and to draw ever nearer to him. And the more that are involved in that, the merrier. 
so to speak. And therefore, if there's any barriers erected, we'd better be busy taking them down. Jesus did. That's a good thing that he did. It's a good thing that he stopped, or else you and I would be lost forever. And finally, while the rest of the crowd wanted to ignore the blind beggar, Jesus didn't. He stopped. And so let's not so get caught up, so caught up in what we're doing and forget the needy soul in the corner. Jesus didn't. And it's a good thing he didn't forget the needy soul in the corner because then you and I would have been forgotten too. Ministry always needs to be people sensitive or else it fails. Jesus, the King of Kings, Jesus, the Lord of Lords, stopped for one in need. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. The gospel that in some ways can be summarized in two words. Jesus stopped. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for stopping for us. Thank you for the life that you give us and the hope that you give us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may be a people who are not about setting up all kinds of barriers in life to stop people from coming to you, but that we may be a people who are welcoming and open so that many more may join the body of Christ. What a Savior you are, O oh Lord. We give you the glory and the praise, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>